Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hey friends, welcome back. Super glad to have you with me again on, what is this, day eight of our journey through the city of Philippi as we've been following Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Now today uh, we reach a significant milestone because this is the last day in Paul and Silas's visit to Philippi. And so next session, we are going to be diving into the book of Philippians itself, which of course I'm very excited about. But I wanted to spend this extra time up here at the front just exploring this historical picture of Paul and his brothers in the city. And there's a couple of reasons why I've spent so much time on it. One is because I I wanted to get a better picture of the character and personality and history of the people and the church of Philippi. We want to see what they were like. In, in Philippians chapter 1, he refers back to these early days. He has fond memories of them. And, and we've been given some, some really great pictures of what happened there as the church was just birthed on the continent of Europe. And the second reason I wanted to spend this time is because I wanted to get to know Paul a little bit better. And ultimately, that is one of my main objectives for this entire project, to understand this guy, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, because I want to become more like him. I want to understand him better so I can behave the way he behaved and say the kinds of things he said. And so today, we are going to get a picture of Paul in the the passage we're studying today. We're going to get a a really unique picture that... uh, but frankly, to some, it's a it's a little troublesome. Uh, some you're gonna if you haven't read this passage before, you're gonna find that it's well, it's a little surprising the way Paul behaves. And we're, but as we dig in and we peel back the covers, I think you're gonna find something really extraordinary about the character of Paul that that's gonna just resonate and hang with us for a long time. So let's just start with a word of prayer, Heavenly Father. Oh, I'm so thankful for my listeners who are tracking with me and trailing through this uh, amazing journey in your word. God, I want so much for their eyes to be opened and their hearts to be just transformed by the pictures and stories and words that you have embedded in this passage of Scripture, in this book. Lord God, we want to hear your voice. So Holy Spirit, come. Block out my voice. Mine doesn't matter. The only thing that matters today is that we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be starting today in a verse, um, well, let's start in verse 35. When it was daylight, so yesterday we saw the earthquake happened, the miraculous escape from prison. Well, it wasn't an escape, but it was a, the doors were opened. The jailer was saved. Things were turned upside down. But now it's day. <laughs> the new day has dawned, and check out what the police are up to. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men. And the jailer told Paul, Hey guys, guess what? The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas can be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. 
Oh, I think that the prison guard, his transformed heart, he is just now so excited about this. It's just yet another further confirmation that God Almighty has released them, that that earthquake was a sign of God's hand. And now this is another sign because they're released. They get to go free. They get to leave. And uh, he, he's even, his language, go in peace, that's a specifically a Christian and Jewish greeting or salutation. So he's already adopting their language and their terminology, and he's just excited. Paul, on the other hand, has a very different perspective. So let's take a look at what he says. Verse 37, but Paul said to the officers, hold up. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? (laughs) No, let them come themselves and escort us out. Interesting, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, when you first read this, you might scratch your head a little bit and say, hold up a second there, Paul. What's, what's with the attitude? He, sound, he comes across a little proud, you know, a little presumptuous, like some privileged guy who, who thinks he has, you know, he has the audacity to think that he, they owe him something now, that he's been offended and they need to make it right. Is that what's going on in Paul's mind? Is that the type of guy he is? Well, before I answer that question, I'd like to take a closer look at the the case that Paul lays out, the specific points that he lists out in in his defense. So he mentions several of them in verse 37. He says they beat us. Some versions say they flogged us. They, They were physically violent. And they still are carrying the bruises, you know, and scars and wounds. And he says they did this publicly. That's number two. Out in the open, out there in the town square, in the Agora, everybody saw this. They know what happened. And third, they did it even though we were uncondemned. They did it without a trial. They did this unfairly and unjustly. And then he pulls out the linchpin in this case. He, He says they did that to Roman citizens. He pulls out his passport, his citizenship, and he says, look, this is illegal what happened here. And now they want to throw us out privately? His next words are, in my version, it just says no. In one version I read, it was absolutely not. But in the Greek, it's ugar, just two short little words. No way. No way. He's incensed, and he's fiery, and he's getting their attention. And obviously it works. Paul's case was effective. The magistrates were very concerned about this. We read in verse 38, the officers reported this to the magistrates, the heads of the city, And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They were afraid. Why why was this so important to them? Why was this such an effective strategy? Well, as we've been mentioned before, Philippi was a Roman colony. That's the highest privilege that a city could be granted by the emperor. It's as if you are living on the soil of the city of Rome itself when you're in Philippi. And because of that, the magistrates were obligated to uphold Roman law, Roman justice, and to protect Roman citizens at all costs. And so when they heard that Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens, they realized that the mistake they had made not only uh, jeopardized their jobs, but it jeopardized their status as a Roman colony. So this was big. This was serious. This was a political nightmare for them. And so they were 
ready to uh, acquiesce to Paul's demands in this case. And so they came, verse 39, they came to appease them and escorted them from the, escorted them from the prison, just like Paul asked. They escorted them from the prison and requested them to leave the city. So it worked. But the question still hovers in the back of our minds. What's going on in Paul's mind with this? Why was this so important? Why was he so incensed about this situation? Was he just feeling like he's personally wounded, personally affronted, and he wants to set things right to get his ego back in shape? Is that what's going on here? Well, I don't think so. And there's a few clues as to why. First of all, although the the linchpin of his argument was his Roman citizenship, the emphasis on his argument comes at the beginning and the end. He says they did this publicly. They, they broke justice publicly, and now they want to release us privately. They want to throw us out without anybody knowing about it. Why is that such a concern to him? Well, because he knows that what, what will happen when he leaves that city. He leaves a brand new church and a whole bunch of Christians who are just as much in jeopardy as he is. He realizes that if he is ushered quietly out of the city without anybody knowing the better, then the mob has won. And the mob will have just as much power to exert the same arguments down the road for all the rest of the Roman Christians. Paul wants to make it very clear that he didn't break any of the Roman laws, that Christianity wasn't illegal. And he wanted to set the precedent that this was an unacceptable way to treat Christians in the city of Philippi. Why do I think that that was what's on his mind instead of his own personal ego? Well, we get a picture of it on the very last verse. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, what did they do? They went to Lydia's house. (laughs) I think this is just pretty hilarious because I'm picturing, you know, I'm picturing them putting Paul and Silas into the police car and, you know, escorting them out of town, you know, trying to make it all right. But then on the way out, Paul looks out the window and says, oh, wait, 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 there's Lydia's house. Hold on. We got some more work to do. Pull us over here. And they're like, wait, we're escorting you out of town. No, no, no. We've got some more to do here. And so they come out and they go to Lydia's house. And I guess the magistrates just had to sit on the porch and wait for them. Why? Why did he go to Lydia's house? Well, who was there? They met with the brothers to encourage them. Ooh, that's interesting. Who did he meet with? He went to Lydia's house and he met with the brothers. Who are they? Well, it's the church of Philippi. Wait, wait, what church? (laughs) We've only, in the story so far, we've only heard about two Christians, Lydia and the jailer. But What's What this verse reveals to us is that those were just two representative examples of what has been going on for weeks in Philippi, that Paul has been, Paul and Silas have been evangelizing throughout the city, and now there is a crowd, there's a multitude of Christians, and they're all gathering at Lydia's house, and you can just picture what they're going through. When they're, they're there in the house, maybe they're praying for Paul, they experience the earthquake, but they don't know what's going on yet. 
and they're just terrified. All they know is that their dear friend Paul and Silas were beaten publicly and thrown into prison, and they have no idea what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, they hear this, these police sirens coming down the street and parking out in front of their house. And Paul and Silas get out, still limping, I'm sure, and they hobble into the house. And it doesn't say that, the, that Lydia and the brothers encourage them. It says they, these wounded soldiers, are encouraging the brothers. You see, what is going on in Paul's mind this whole time is not his own personal privilege and comfort. It wasn't his comfort when he was in prison singing hymns. It was God's glory. And it wasn't his personal comfort when he was making a case against the magistrates. He was concerned about Lydia and the jailer and all the other brothers who were Christians. That was at the forefront of his mind so that when he had a chance to leave this city and shake the dust off his feet, that's not what he did. All he wanted to do was to come and encourage them. This word, encourage, is a really cool word here. And it's one that kind of wraps up this whole chapter. It's a, it's a bookend word. It was used back in verse 15 and now again in the, in the last verse. The word encourage in, in the Greek can be used in two different ways. It can be used to urge or to, to, um, to encourage, right? Sometimes translated both ways. In verse 15, Lydia encourages Paul and Silas, to, after she's saved, she encourages them to come and uh, she wants to bring them to her house so she can be hospitable to them. So she encourages them. And then in verse 39, the magistrates urge or encourage Paul and Silas to leave the city. So the chapter, the story begins with Lydia encouraging them to come to her home. And then it ends with the, the magistrates encouraging them, urging them to leave and then the very end of the chapter, it's Paul and Silas encouraging the disciples, the new Christians, these fledgling Christians in Lydia's church home to stay and to be strong. In fact, this word uh, encourage is used at the end of almost every one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys or every time he left a city um, back in chapter 14. Verse 21, it says, when they returned, they went through Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So that was his, that's his sermon. And you can just imagine the passion and the tears as he gathers these brand new Christians and says, guys, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. But you can sing rejoicing hymns when you do, because we serve a new emperor, a new God. God Almighty is now your new king, and he encourages them, and then they leave. What a beautiful story. I love this passage, and I love what Paul shows us about his character, that his heart his heart is for these people. And we're going to find out when we get into Philippians that the city of Philippi was really became one of his favorite churches in all that he's, he's so compassionate and he loves them so much and they love him. We're going to see so many evidences of their love for him and his love for them as we continue this study. But today I just want to leave you with my own encouragement for you. I don't know what you're struggling with today. Don't know what you're going through today. 
Don't know what you've been through last night, what earthquakes have shaken you and turned you upside down. But I can tell you this, God Almighty is with you and he is for you and you are on your way to the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven, not just a citizen of Rome. And so I just want to pray right now, oh God, that you would remind those who are studying this passage with me today that you love us, that you are powerful, that you can shake things open, that you could open hearts and open prison cells and turn uh, police officers and judges upside down because you are an almighty God. So help us, oh God. Help us to see you. Help us to walk with you, to rejoice in you. And Lord God, as we turn our hearts in the next session to the book of Philippians, oh Lord God, open the eyes of our heart that we might know you better and serve you better. I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.